When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and uh, I can't see him, but I imagine he's looking quite pleased with uh, a point from the game at Leicester last night. It was a t- Kieran, that was a terrible game. I mean, even the, the crowd atmosphere gave up halfway through, didn't it? it was, uh, I imagine you're happy, Kieran, aren't you? Uh, happy with the result. Yeah, I ended up playing top trumps online halfway through it. That that was how exciting it was. Well, there you go. that's the mark of a true, true fan, isn't it? But um, <laughs> Kieran, of course, for those of you who are new to our pod, um, and I'm, there are new people every time. Kieran, of course, is football finance expert at Liverpool University. Um, the fact that he played top trumps during his own team's uh, game on TV is not the oddest thing about him, as you'll find if you're a new listener. <laughs> Who did you play top trumps with? Not the, uh, the Baroness, surely, is not a top trump. No, 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 this, this was just random people on Twitter. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, anybody in Russia that we should know about? Uh, not of the Baroness is listening. Yeah, because there are, there are, we say, there are, there are certain uh, elements of your life, Kieran, I wouldn't wish to play top trumps with you because I think I might lose. Um, now, it's, it's Thursday. Um, I'm not going to talk about football too much because we are recording this slightly earlier than normal so I can go and watch Palace get hammered by Liverpool. So uh, I've got a feeling our four clean sheets record might disappear. So, so I don't want to tease uh, Kieran too much. But um, uh, it's Thursday, so it's... it's um, it's not questions day, Ken. I'm confused. I've got myself all giddy now thinking about Moscow and top trumps. Um, it's Thursday, so it's our news day. Um, later on, we'll be hearing from top football lawyer Kelly Skeggs, who's been talking with Kieran. Um, it sometimes worries me how many lawyers you know, Kieran, actually. <laughs> it, it sometimes worries me that they seem to uh, they seem to have a hotline to uh, to my email address these days. Yes. Yeah, despite, I, I, when you call them silver tongue lawyers, I'm starting to wonder why. Um, now, the f- first story, we're going to the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga, is a, we're always holding up as a, a paragon, a model of how to run a, a football league properly. And they've been the first major European league to agree a new broadcast deal since the pandemic began. But the broadcasters are playing hardball here, aren't they? Um, yes, uh, the the agreement that they've got with uh, with the with Sky and DAZN, who are a streaming site, it it works out as around about four billion pounds over four years. So that's down around about five percent on, on the current deal. Um, now, how much is that has got to do with the pandemic? I'm, I'm not quite sure um, because if you take a look at the the current Premier League deal, which is which is more valuable than the Bundesliga deal because. English English football has the benefit of 
we were first to, to sell our rights overseas. And of course, English is the world's, uh, you know, every, everybody's second language. So therefore, it's uh, it, it's a lot more familiar than, than the Bundesliga. Um, the, the, the Premier League deal, that decreased in value as well uh, for, the, for the current round. But it is a cause for concern, especially as if you take a look at the, uh, the, the Bundesliga deal. Um, all, all of their Saturday games are broadcast. So it's, it's similar to what we're experiencing at present uh, in terms of, of Premier League games. And DAZN, they've got the, the Friday and the Sunday games um, th- there's nine matches over the course of the season which are going to be free to air, um, which which is good. Um, but I think one of the things which surprised me was that there's no sign of, of Amazon or Netflix. So you might have thought that given the yeah, – everybody thought that the, the Amazon experience was a successful one. Yeah. Um, why are they not dipping their toe a bit further in the water with, with football rights? But that doesn't seem to be the case. Oh, is, you sound like you're surprised. Um. Yes, I mean, uh, the, by all by all accounts, the uh, the numbers of viewers were were higher than anticipated. Um, Amazon did manage to get the the matches for a relatively low fee, um, and and given Amazon's ability to to extract every single piece of data out of anybody that's connected mm. with their website or or Amazon Prime, um, you thought that they might have seen that this was a way forwards to attract new customers, um, and and therefore go for for a new market. And clearly, you know, the German economy is uh, it is it is struggling just as all economies are at present. But even so, it's a fairly lucrative one. Yeah, I should uh, before we move on, I'll, I'll take issue with your statement that English is everybody's second language because you've obviously not been to the French parts of Canada. Uh, it is, but try getting them to use it. Um, would this be the usual time, by the way, for them to negotiate new contracts, or has it been brought forward because of the pandemic? Because it, it 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 occurs to me that it's difficult to negotiate broadcasting contracts when we don't know when the next seasons will even be starting, do we? Well, th- this is for the this is for twenty twenty one twenty two going onwards. Right. So, okay. I, I, I think part of the issue why why the value's gone down was that the present deal, which is from twenty seventeen to twenty one, um, that that was an increase of eighty five percent compared to the one which 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 was the legacy deal. So you you can't keep on getting these huge rises. Uh, time and time again, eventually, you sort of you reach a you reach a, a, a tipping point, and I, th- I suspect that's where German football is at present. Um, and I susp- and the, the Premier League will probably follow suit because uh, the Premier League, whilst we're just finished the first year of the three year uh, cycle, um, they've already started negotiations for um, when when that's going to be replaced. Yeah, I might do a bit of digging into that Amazon thing because, as you know, I worked on. Um the TV show they had, the magazine show that Amazon had for the start of the last season before they actually started showing football, which turned out to be a mistake. But around about once Boxing Day had happened and Christmas happened, they were very, very bullish about the amount of people that had actually watched it. Not that we actually got anywhere near. I've got about three corridors close to the Amazon people. We tended to be kept away. Um, we didn't have the access all areas passed that the Amazon people did. But I know a couple of people, so I'll be interested because that, that's intrigued me because – yeah, we've all been talking uh, about the fact that Amazon are the next big players, and Netflix would be interested because Amazon interest in tested. So, is it is it possible that we just don't know that Amazon are involved, or because there's been no announcement to the fact that they're not interested, has there? 
Well, looking looking at these matches, the fact that Sky have got two hundred, DAZN have got one hundred and four, and the free to air are nine. I mean, normally you'd announce everything at the same time, right. and, and if this is the case, this 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 will be blocking Amazon out of the German market until twenty twenty five, which which is a, is a long time uh, in football broadcasting. Right. So we're still specifically talking about the German market here, rather than the UK market. That's right. I think the, right, the, okay. the UK market going forwards, um, Amazon must be very pleased with with what they've had, um, and also by all accounts, the price they paid was was bottom dollar. Um, so whether the Premier League will be trying to extract more cash for a renewal, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, uh, cancel what I said about uh, doing some research with Amazon. Uh, if it was for the UK football, I think it would get way too confusing if I try and contact some Amazon people I've barely met to ask them why they're not getting involved in German football till 2025. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> let, that, we'll let that one go for a moment, Kieran. Um, uh, Bristol Rovers is a club we we haven't talked about for a long time, but there's been some big changes this week. Yes, the um, the, the Bristol Rovers owner, which was the Al Cardi family, um, they're they're Qatari based, and and they they were running uh, Bristol Rovers from a company called Dwayne Sports, which was registered in the Channel Islands. So, you know, your initial thoughts is this sounds slightly uncomfortable, um, but uh, one of the family has effectively bought out the rest. This is this is Wael Al Cardi. Um, and the good news, I think, from the club's point of view was that Bristol Rovers, that they've been losing since they got to League One. And Bristol Rovers had a bit of a bit of an up and down time. They ended up in the National League, but they, they bounced mm. back from that. Um, um, they, they, they've been losing £10,000 a day for the last three or four thousand, sorry, for the last three or four years. A day? Um, okay. Uh, so on, on the back of that, the owners have been lending money and they were charging interest on that. But what what uh, what the new owner, or what the new member of the Alcardi family has said, is that he's going to write off eighteen million pounds worth of loans. He's going to write off two million pounds worth of interest, which was owed by the club to to the owners, um, and and that's got to be a step in the right direction. Um, they've they've got new board of directors. They've got some commercial people involved. So I think it gives the clubs clubs fans a little bit of of comfort um, from that because there has been talk of takeovers and, and the fans were worried that the Alcardi family might pull out their interest. Um, and, and going forwards, I think the most important thing for, for for Rovers fans is that that he does seem committed to to finding them a new stadium. Um, yeah, they've been playing uh, at a at a at the Memorial Ground yeah, yeah. For, for a few years, and I and I can remember going to to Bath. To see them play back in the in the mid nineties, uh, to uh, when when they gave Brighton yet another spanking um, as as an away fan, um, so they they do need a new ground, just like all clubs. You need somewhere to call your home. Um, so yeah, there's certainly far more positives than negatives from this. Yeah, well, I, I remember Eastfield. I mean, the old stadium. I mean, that was uh, that was a. I think quaint is the nicest word you could use for it. With the um, if it's possible to to do this briefly, Kieran, what, I mean, I'm just intrigued by the process by which a Qatari company gets involved with with Bristol Rovers. I mean, is this one of those things where they're just looking to get involved in English football and can't afford the Premier League, or will Bristol Rovers have been touting themselves? I mean, how does that how does that work? Because it's, it's a long way from Bristol to Qatar, even in a, in a global economy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Wael Al Qadi uh, he went to Westminster School. Uh, and he became interested in football. I think he, initially he was a Chelsea fan, 
um, sort of, you know, do, doing his studies there. And um, he just became a huge football fan, wanted to buy a football club. Bristol Rovers came up on the market and the family decided to buy it. I mean, he, he comes from a very wealthy, successful family. They've been involved in banking in Jordan um, in the Middle East for some time. And, and they decided to have a go. Um, it, a bit like some of these things, which are family enterprises, you've got some members of the family who are more interested than others. But he, do, he does seem to, to want to take the club forward on this. Good. Well, that's good news for Bristol Rovers fans. Um, less so for our next club. Now, sometimes Guy, our producer, will will do a little statement that includes the question that he wants to be asked um, or the story that he wants to discuss. Sometimes there'll be a almost a haiku that will introduce the story. And sometimes it's just a terse couple of words. And these words are some peculiar goings on at Oldham. Now, um, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, a writer called Chris England, uh, is an Oldham fan. I bumped into him in Streatham Common Sainsbury's. Uh, just the other day. It's a little insight into the glamour of my life. And we had a socially distanced chat about Oldham. Um, I, peculiar goings on is not exactly how he put it. I, I think, like many Oldham fans, he's not a happy bunny. So what what are the latest peculiar goings on? Well, in, in February, Oldham published a set of accounts. Now, these were unaudited, and they were the cut-down accounts, which instantly gets them onto my naughty step, as you know. Um but it, it did show that they, they'd made a profit of five and a half million pounds that year, which which seemed pretty impressive. Um, and, and they had cash of two hundred and sixty grand in the bank. So yeah, both of those look look pretty good. Um, now, I, you know, as as an accountant, I, I know that when somebody asks me what what's the profit figure, my standard answer is, well, well, what do you want it to be? Um, <laughs> when when are you well, to? Uh, I might get, get you to do my accounts. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think Bobby Numbers, my accountant, is too honest for my own good. Well, certainly, when, when I used to uh, when I used to work in Moscow, um, I, I used to produce three sets of accounts. <laughs> three sets of accounts. Three sets of accounts. One one was for the shareholders. One was for the tax authorities because you you can bribe the tax authorities quite easily. So you you'd you'd, you'd negotiate a in, bribe in Russia, for the tax in, officials in Russia, and then you you'd put in. You know, a nice low figure for your profits. Um, and then thirdly was for the local mafia because um, they offered us, they, they came to visit us one day and said, we're going to offer you fire insurance. And the way that it works is that we, we had to give them 25% of our revenue and they didn't set fire to the building because um, that's that's how Russia works. I mean, it really is a mafioso estate. Well, to be fair, um, Kieran, you, you were brought up in the Elephant and Castle, so this is not a concept that's entirely new to you, is it? Let's be fair. <laughs> No, no, that seemed perfectly natural. So, so therefore, of course, I was I was under pressure to perhaps um, reduce our official revenue figures for them. So it, it was always, it, you know, my my spreadsheet was working overtime trying to trying to ma- maintain three sets of books. But but we managed right, yeah. that. No, um, no wonder no wonder you needed those special cuddles at night as well. I, I, <laughs> sounds like a very stressful job to be an accountant in Moscow. <laughs> it is indeed. It is, yeah. but but the one figure you you can't really fiddle in in accounts is cash because you, you look at a bank statement and you you say well yeah that's the amount of cash we've got in the bank. Um, on the twelfth of June, um, Oldham replaced their accounts at Company's House, oh. and 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 the profit went down from five and a half million to two million, and the cash went down from two hundred and sixty one thousand pounds. To six thousand, and I'm going. Well, yeah, that's that's a hell of an achievement. Because if you think about it, you've either got money in a bank account or you haven't. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I, I'm, the first the first one's not something I'm, aware, I'm really familiar with, but the second one, yeah. It's, is this totally above board? Are you allowed to just replace accounts like that willy nilly? I, I, I was under the impression that once you your, your accounts had been registered, whatever that that they were your accounts. Um, well, if if you found an error or something of that nature, then then you are allowed to replace them if that's been approved by the board of directors. Right. Um, but but the, you know, the club says it can't afford to have the accounts audited. So okay, that that's fine. I'll go. I can, I can understand that they don't want to spend money on on external costs. But if you if you can't get your cash balance right to a quarter of a million pounds for a small yeah. business. That that does sound the sound alarms. It looks as if they're sort of using the the, the random number generator that the EFL use for points deductions. Well, uh, th- there are two things here, Kieran. It's becoming clear that f- more football clubs need to listen to this pod because then they wouldn't just replace accounts willy nilly. They'd all be going, "Hang on a second, there's this one idiot out there who's checking everything. We better we better make sure this is above board." But if you if it rings alarm bells with you, Kieran, I don't understand why it's not ringing alarm bells with with HMRC, for example. I mean, surely they will have recognised this discrepancy and, and be wondering where this money's gone, won't they? Well, well possibly, but we don't know what's been submitted to HMRC. Um, but you would expect them to be, be certainly raising a, a curious eyebrow. Uh, I mean, I, I was contacted by Push the Boundary, who are sort of an Oldham fans group in yeah. February, um, asking me to to sort of review the accounts from an independent perspective, and I do that. You know, I, I never ask for money for these things. You know, I, I do it because I'm a football fan first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and and they went to the club, and, and the club rejected that because the the club thinks I'm a dodgy character. Well, where <laughs> my mistake? They do listen to the podcast then. Um, <laughs> so now this is where I'm getting slightly confused because obviously this is a, a gap in my knowledge. So I would have assumed that the accounts that are logged with Company House would be exactly the same as the accounts that are logged with HMRCs. But is that is that not the case? So, I mean, they will just give HMRC, a, a, yeah, this is what we earned, this is what we spent, now tell us how much we paid in tax. So the, the HMRC aren't looking through their accounts in as much detail as you then? Um, well, presumably... They, they have submitted something to HMRC. It could be that they submitted to Companies House and they hadn't got round to submitting to HMRC. But it does right. seem very strange you know, for, for, for profits to fall by four million and cash yeah. by such an amount. Um, you are allowed to resubmit to HMRC if, if, yeah. you, if you notice that there's been a change in some numbers or there's been a disagreement at the board level. So HMRC are... are not unused to this happening, but it's it's not it's not something which would happen on a frequent basis, and I suspect it would mean HMRC. In my experience, have always been very fair. So long, as long as you don't try to do anything too ridiculous, they'll accept your word on things, um, and, and they won't investigate you know ninety nine percent of what they see coming through uh, as submitted to them um, because you know that they are so busy. Uh, but with something like this, it, you would think they might want to query. Um, some of these numbers, given the, you know the, the huge impact on profits. Having said that, because Oldham have lost money over so many years, they wouldn't. I suspect they wouldn't be paying any tax anyway. Yeah, I, I have to say for the, I agree with you for the most part about HMRC being fair. Although there's one bloke at Fleetwood a couple of years back. If I ever meet him in a dark alley, we might have to have words. But for the most part, all the rest of them really nice people and customs and excise. Who I'm on first name terms with quite a lot. Um, one last question on this replacement accounts 
theory because because I'm this is the first time I come across this concept, Kieran. So there's there's no legal requirement for them to explain why this discrepancy has happened. There's no legal requirement for them to say these are why we're replacing the accounts. Five million quid slipped down the back of a sofa, or we bought a player, or we miscalculated. No, no, they can just say that we've. Uh... We've we've revised our numbers, and uh, on on the back of that, here are new. Uh, here's a new representation of what we think the accounts are. Okay, um, well that's an interesting. One. We'll keep an eye on that because I I bump into Chris quite a lot in Sainsbury's, so I'm sure we'll have ongoing information on a daily basis. Now the Cardiff chairman, I think, has been listening to this pod, Kieran, because you've used this potential valuation a few times, but uh, he he's, reckons that up to a third of Championship clubs could be sold for a pound. In the coming months, yes, this this is uh, this is Mayor McDalman, who is he's the Cardiff chairman, um, and he's saying that the, the championship, as we've previously discussed on many occasions, is a, is a really tough league. First of all, from a football perspective, but from a financial perspective, it's a nightmare. I, I checked my spreadsheet this morning, um, and on on average, clubs were losing four hundred and eighty five thousand pounds a week in a pre COVID environment. So you, you can see there must be a, 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 a at least a handful of club owners who are saying, "Well, I just can't carry on this." Uh, you know, my my personal circumstances have changed. So if they sell the club for one pound, it means that they're not having to write out that check for four hundred and eighty five grand a week on top of it. So they're just getting rid of a problem that, that football clubs are effectively now becoming white elephants for many owners. Yeah, this is the part of the pod where, for new listeners, I pause while they turn to their mates and go, £485,000 a week? Because it took me three or four pods to get my head around the fact that you were talking about a weekly figure. Um, that's all. We've got, we've got more news to come, but right now it's time for our interview with sports lawyer Kelly Skeggs. Now, Kelly has worked with Hull City, Bristol City, Ipswich Town and Spurs, amongst others, and is also uh, a top table tennis player. And she spoke to Kieran earlier this week. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Welcome to the show, Kelly. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me, Kieran. I'm delighted to be here. Jolly good. And uh, you're keeping safe and well in this this crazy world of ours at present? Yes, it is a crazy world. Luckily enough, I'm able to do my job from home. So um, whereas some people have been able to take a little bit of a backseat, I've been very much forefront of the uh, cuts and deferrals and furloughs, etc. that have been going on. So um, yeah, my world's been pretty manic. But yes, very safe. Thank you. Great, great. 
So, you know, looking at it from from the point of view um, of, of an agent, so you, you, in terms of representing players, and so we, we look at things in in general rather than specific. Um, how, how do you see the transfer market uh, over the course of the summer? Uh, in, in terms of first of all transfers and transfer fees, uh, but secondly, perhaps more importantly, for, for contract negotiations on behalf of players themselves. Well, it's a question that's uh, at the forefront of everybody's mind at this point in time and something that's regularly discussed on a weekly basis, um, certainly internally for us. Um, at the moment, it's just um, speculation, really. We we can only have a look at, um, well, we're, we're coming off the back of a declining market from the last two or three windows as it is. So um, what we're hearing from clubs is the uh, reduced budget, obviously, because of the lack of income that they're going to be getting from match day uh, income. Uh, there was some talk about a percentage of 25% being banded about in reduction of transfer fees and wages. But obviously, we'll have to wait and see on how that is. Um, I think top level signings are still going to happen. The Premier League are going to be the least affected um, by this because their match day income is a smaller proportion of their overall income as compared to um, the, the other three divisions. So in terms of the top level transfers, I don't see it making too much of a difference to those, but potentially going down the triangle, we are looking um, at a fairly um, dep- depressed market, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's that seems to be in line with what we're seeing. Timo Werner's gone for his uh, buyout fee. We saw Arthur go to uh, go from Barcelona um, for a high fee. So you're absolutely right. The, the elite clubs, I think, will be the, the ones which are least affected. I mean, I've just mentioned Timo Werner there, and, and we've seen him uh, say to, to his club that he doesn't want to play in the Champions League because he's signing for, for Chelsea. Um, Ryan Fraser has effectively said thanks but no thanks in respect of, of Bournemouth. Um, the, the, these are, these are month-long or short-term um, offerings to players, um, and, and can you can you understand from the players' perspective why the players might be declining um, the the additional contracts from players on, on from sorry from clubs on a short term basis? Well, obviously we're having to deal with um, a few of these ourselves. That the, the the issue that you've got, um, and it very much differs from player to player. Uh, if you look at Timo's case, for example, he's an incredibly high value worth player. Um, if he was to sign a, a month-long extension and he was to get injured within that time, then his value would take quite a significant drop, which would be reflected in either a trans- well, our transfer fee and his wages. Um, if you think about it, they've had two, three months off. They've been given a basic fitness program, but no training, no match practice, no prehab. Uh, they've been asked to come in with a couple of a couple of weeks, but that's not really proper training because some of it's been non-contact uh, in small groups, etc. So they're going to be asked to play within a six, seven week period, nine games of football on the back of um, a very reduced training and fitness schedule. So there's a significantly increased risk of um, injury to them in that period of time. And it's very much player dependent on uh, whether or not you take that risk. Uh, and it's a, a, a heavy discussion between an agent and a player um, and his close circle as to whether or not he's going to take that risk. And obviously, Timo decided and, and Scott decided that wasn't worth the risk. But if you're a, if you're a player in League One or Two, 
um, and you're out of contract, then some players are saying, well, I need to be in that window. I need to put myself out there in, in that market so that um, clubs are able to see me and what I can do and, and bring bring my identity to the forefront of, of that particular market. So it's very much dependent on um, on the player. Right. That, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, you sort of you're, you're in. You're saying that there's clearly a difference between the elite players and, and the players who are uh, further down the pyramid in in terms of um, their their future careers and earnings potential. Um, do you think, sort of in general, what we're seeing as a result of the coronavirus um, will be the the gap between rich and poor? growing even wider and certainly it has been growing in in recent years because the big clubs are the ones signing the big commercial deals and they're getting even more of a lion's share of tv money uh yes as you rightly say i think we've been seeing that for a number of years now and the top six are clearly dominating i think i don't know 190 million at the last watch between um the top six and the the revenues of uh, everton for example but obviously we're now we're now in this market uh, post COVID nineteen, but you're also now looking at um, salary capping that's being discussed in in the lower leagues, uh, and how that and what effect that will have on the market, um, and whether or not the championship vote to have that in or not um, is an, is another question. But what you're going to see if if that comes in is very much a um, a balance to the lower divisions, which are then think will create a bigger divide between the Premier League and the the rest of the lower leagues. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sort of turning away from sort of the, the transfer. And I'm here, we're, myself and Kevin, we're, we're both pub lawyers. So, so we, we've got zero <laughs> legal knowledge whatsoever. Um, but uh, there has been a lot of debate between certainly different fan groups um, in respect of the position that, that we find ourselves as fans um, in terms of season tickets. So we're wondering if we could pick your brain, as, as you've got more of a, you, clearly you're from a legal background, um, yep. in, in respect of the position with regards to refunds for season tickets. Um, are clubs legally obliged, do you think, under sort of consumer protection law to give the money back if the fans want it? And we are seeing many fans turning around and saying, well, thanks, but no thanks. We're more concerned about our club surviving, but clearly everybody's personal circumstances are different and some people might need the cash. Some clubs have flatly refused to give refunds, for example. Interesting topic of conversation. Um, I think as with a lot of decisions that clubs have to make um, in, in these scenarios, the, the legal position only stands as, as your starting point, really, because you're only the legal rights are only ever enforced if somebody takes it to court. And in this sort of scenario, we're talking about, for individuals, fairly small amounts of money. Um, but obviously, as a collective for the club, it, it's a vast amount of their income, especially as you go down the leagues. So it's a huge commercial decision for the club in terms of their revenue, uh, but also in terms of uh, fan happiness, essentially, because what they need to decide, you start off with what they're legally um, obliged to do, but then they have to make a commercial decision behind that. Um, The the difficulty that you have in in any scenario here is that the um, terms and conditions, when you buy a season ticket, you're entering into a contract with the club, essentially, for services. Um, and everybody's terms and conditions um, are, are very different. So Arsenal's terms and conditions 
club reserves the right to reschedule any match or if necessary play the match out of view of the public without notice and without any liability whatsoever so in terms of the legal position it will differ from club to club depending on the terms and conditions but when you look at the the club stances it will be very much dependent on uh, a financial and a commercial decision rather than a legal decision and what we're seeing is the uh, Premier League clubs attending to uh, refund uh, based on a proportion of the matches that haven't been played. Um, lower down the leagues, you're looking at t- creative uh, refunds in terms of, okay, well, we'll give you a credit with the amount uh, of proportion that hasn't been played and we'll put that towards your next season ticket or we'll put it towards um, retail or merchandising, etc. because their, uh, the, the reliance on their income is... Um, significantly higher than it is for the Premier League clubs. That that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, thanks so much. And just sort of one one final one. I mean, it, yeah, we are in this this crazy coronavirus world at present, and clearly health issues are are preeminent. Um, have you found yourself to be busier or quieter than in previous years, in the sense that uh, clients are going to need more advice, or is it because the transfer market hasn't hasn't yet taken place that everybody's sort of just having a watching brief and waiting to see if somebody's going to break ranks? In in terms of what, Kieran? In, in terms of negotiating transfers and contracts and things of that nature. Okay, so you've got the players that were out of contract on the 30th of June this year. Um, some have obviously been asked, uh, the deadline was yesterday, for their month extension to take them to the 31st of July, uh, the championship now the 4th of August for playoffs. Um that's obviously been busier than normal because we wouldn't obviously have to go through that. So that's um, a significant chunk of time being taken up with that. Previously, in the last few months, we've had to deal with many clubs requesting a deferral. So um, the negotiations between the players and uh, the board in terms of um, which percentage of salary is going to be deferred for which month and when that's going to be repayable. Um, the furloughing for the lower the lower leagues um, that's taken quite a lot of explanations as for the for for us to the players to explain what it means. Um, some clubs have agreed to pay a hundred percent and to top up the government's eighty percent contribution. Some clubs haven't. Um, what that means if if a player takes a deferral uh, and if you're out of contract, what does that mean for them? Whether or not the club are going to continue to pay any additional bonuses. Uh, that's also been quite a heated topic of debate. Um, but in terms of, um, I think the, the, the clubs are changing potentially or, or waiting because they don't know what their budgets are until they know when spectators are going to be back into the stadium. So what what, what playing budget the recruitment um, first team squad have uh, is still un- uncertain for a, for a number of clubs. So until they get that sorted, um, it's difficult to push forward with uh, transfers. But obviously, speculation remains there and the work behind the scenes still goes on. Um, they still have their primary and secondary targets and the positions that they, they must fill or maybe can fill if they get one out and get one in. Um, but I think the the big difference is going to be the the players that were on the list for out for sale um, 
maybe clubs might change their mind because they the, the value is going to have taken a dip and the uh, replacement value um, they're probably not going to be able to find a player uh, to to replace them for the for the amount that they've got so they might be keeping players that otherwise would have been for sale um, and I think transfer fees are going to take a, a significant reduction I, I, lots of clubs are saying they're not going to play tran- they're not going to pay transfer fees. Uh, at all so it's going to be very much out of contracts and loans that we're seeing more of that's brilliant that's, that's really useful so it's going to it's going to be a, a a tight tough market by the sounds of it well kelly th- thank you so much for coming on to the podcast by the sounds of it you're incredibly busy so we appreciate you taking your time out uh stay safe to you and your family and, and your loved ones and uh, uh have a listen to the show of course yes thanks kieran i definitely will every week <laughs> thanks for having me It's always good to hear from uh, people uh, outside the actual accountancy bubble, Kieran, isn't it? And Kelly had a lot of interesting things to say, but uh, still on legal matters, and this is not something we could particularly ask her about for obvious reasons. Sheffield Wednesday's battle with the EFL kicked off this week. That's right. And, and this has been rumbling for for, for, for a long time. Since um, we started the pod, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were originally charged in November 2019, uh, with regards to issues relating to the sale of Hillsborough, uh, the EFL said they then had extra evidence in December 2019, and, and then we had radio silence. So yeah, we're, we're six months further down the line. Um, but my understanding is that the hearing has started uh, this week, um, and part of the reason for that is that other clubs in the Championship are getting. Um, increasingly concerned that they want to know where they stand. Um, And and this is especially coming from from those clubs who are close to the relegation zone. So the likes of Barnsley and Hull have been pressing for this um, because uh, Sheffield Wednesday could be looking from anything from from a a zero, uh, you know, a a zero deduction because they could, of course, be cleared by the Mm. panel um, up to a maximum of 21 points deductions, which would, of course, throw them into the mixer as far as uh, the relegation fight was concerned. So the reason why Barnsley and Hull want to know is because you, you might be going into the last two or three fixtures. And of course, we, we, we all know, you know sometimes you need to win a match. Sometimes you'll put stick 10 men behind a ball and, and you'll stick for a nil-nil draw because that yeah, might yeah. all be re- required. Um, it, it is a cause for concern that these these cases are taking so long to resolve. This actually relates to the sale of Hillsborough sometime in 2018, and we're two years further down the line, um, and we're no better off in terms of making a final decision. Uh, it also could be the case is that if there is a points deduction or if there isn't a points deduction, either Sheffield Wednesday or the EFL could appeal the case, um, yeah. as we've seen in recent, uh, uh, you know, yeah. recently in respect of Birmingham City and Macclesfield and so on. Yeah, well, I think Barnsley and Hull fans listening to this will be of the same mind as Stevenage fans were about Macclesfield. That if there is going to be a points deduction. Again, no pun intended. It, it's absolutely pointless if that points deduction doesn't materially affect their place in the league because that's no sort of punishment at all. Essentially, if if they get a two point points deduction that takes them down from eighth to tenth, it's annoying, but it's it's not a punishment. And I'm sure Barnsley and Hull fans would would think the same way, wouldn't they? 
very much so that the championship's not like the, the Premier League, where where each position is worth two and a half it's million exactly. pounds in the table. That you you just get a flat fee. So there there, there is no difference to a certain extent between eighth and eighteenth. Yeah, now Sheffield Wednesday, one of the clubs we talked about in the first couple of pods, and I think this is one of the countries we first talked about as well, um, annoyingly for both of us, given our background. The Football Association of Ireland has started legal action against its former auditors, Deloitte. Remind us about this story, Kieran. Well, um, the, the Deloitte um, wouldn't sign off the accounts effectively in 2019 because they said that the the FAI, the, the Football Association of Ireland, hadn't been keeping proper accounting records. Now, you know, you know as with, with your discussions with with Bobby Numbers, he'll always tell you keep your receipts, you know, make sure that you've you've got uh, evidence of, of all all money that you're paying out in in respect of of your career and mm. and, and the way that you conduct yourself as, as a professional. Um, the same should be the case for for football clubs, but even perhaps more so for a football association. Yeah, they they are supposed to be um, setting a standard, um, and and it appears now that the the FAI ended up with debts of around about fifty five million euros, and there were lots of issues to do with expenses um, where records were not being kept. Um, they they appeared to loan a hundred thousand euros to their former CEO John Delaney, who's who's not very popular with anybody in Ireland. Um, and on the back of that, uh, the board of the FAI uh, resigned on mass in 2019, and Deloitte themselves, who'd been the auditors for 23 years, mm. um, they resigned uh, six months ago. But you would have thought that if this was sort of a, a systemic issue in, in terms of the FAI, that the auditors might have spotted such issues going back a few years. So you know, why did it take them 23 years to to realise that potentially there were things that weren't great? So on the back of that, I think we've got a new board of the F, on the FAI, um, and I think they're trying to recoup some money back from the auditors. So basically, the legal action is on the basis of that they should have spotted discrepancies and didn't or didn't or did and didn't report them is that the case that's correct and and, auditors will always claim that they they can't spot fraud that they're not they're not there to spot fraud they're merely there to make sure that the accounts look reasonable um, on the basis of the information provided to them and and if there is if there's a big fraud taking place it, it is isn't it is a challenge really to to find the unusual things um, but uh, yeah, at present, everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Uh, and like uh, all of these issues, you know, if we look at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, the FAI, um, the, the only winners are going to be our, our friends in the legal profession. Yeah, and of course, 30 or 40 years ago, if you talk about the English FA, the Scottish FA, the FA of Ireland, you would tend to make allowances because a lot of the people running them were were amateurs. They were people from the, the, the county FAs who were volunteering, but... It's not thirty or forty years ago. These these should be professional organisations, and they they have been for quite some time. So, and this is quite it's an unforgivable thing to have allowed to happen. Really, for you know, I mean, Ireland's not a backwater. It's not, you know, we 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 would laugh it off if it was one of the tiny European countries that we'd barely heard of. We shouldn't laugh it off, but we would. But you know, Ireland is a modern, sophisticated Western European country, and there's no there's absolutely no excuse for this, is there? No, none at all, uh, and yeah. I, I agree with you entirely. Um, I, I think, it, you know, as as a as something, you know, we both got Irish family and Irish connections, and I can assure you that 
that my my extended family, which of course goes into as many hundreds as I suspect yours does, they're they're just embarrassed and. You know, you, you you want to think that your football association, you might disagree with many of the things that you do, but this is a bit humiliating. Yes, a little bit embarrassing. Um, back to a club, and it's a ladies' football club now, because Gillingham Ladies Football Club have become an independent entity from the from the ex parent club, haven't they? That that's right, and I think we we, we sort of touched upon this um, in, in the last week or two. Um, I, I was concerned that clubs were looking to do cost cutting. So effectively, what what Gillingham Football Club have done have said well, that that Gillingham ladies are, are running at a loss, um, and therefore they've effectively t- uh, s- s- you know severed all all ties with them. Um, you know they were in the National League South. They were playing at Chatham FC, um, and my concern would be that you know. The, the women's football game has been growing in, in the past few years and it would be a setback. Um, and fair play to the people who are involved with the club sort of on a more day-to-day basis. They've said, right, well, if that's your attitude, we will go independent and, and we will try to be self-financing. But they are going to find it's going to be a challenge, of course, because um, you won't be able to attract a paying audience until we get some form of all clear from the government. But, but on the other hand, now I would have thought, looking at it more positively, that the the women's game would be more attractive to some sponsors. I'm guessing than than the man's game probably would. I mean, it's 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 more child friendly, for want of a better word. It's it's a it's a much safer environment even these days to go and watch football. It's it's an attractive open game. I, I would have thought they'd be a, a decent prospect for, especially smaller companies who have got no way of affording to be involved in in the the man's game, if you want. Um, so maybe they should be looking to exploit that as a maybe sell it as a slightly different product. Yes, I, I think that's that, that there's certainly an opportunity there. Um, you know, whoever's in charge of their sort of marketing and commercial, like like everybody in, in, in present at football, is going to have their work cut out. Yeah, of course. But there's you've got to approach it in a positive manner. I mean, the worst thing that could have happened would be that everybody said, well, you know, we've been jettisoned, we're we're going to kick it into touch. But you've got to give a lot of credit to the fact that the team and I think the manager have decided, well, we're not going to accept that and we are going to try to run ourselves as a football club. It will be tough, though, um, because the... The, the WSL is is competitive, and yeah, you know yeah. because they're in National League South, they, 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 there's a few few tiers of the pyramid that they need to climb before yeah. they can start to get the the bigger sponsors. Uh, yes, have a good weekend, everybody. I hope your football team wins, unless you're a Liverpool fan, of course, tonight. Um, and Kieran's got a little message for you, two word message, haven't you, Kieran? Stay safe, boys and girls. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. I'm for the ball.